Go ahead and turn in your Bible to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Second Corinthians chapter 8, we're going to read and meditate this morning on verse 9. It's an amazing verse about the glory of Christ and about the gospel tucked away in this exhortation about generosity. But I just want us to focus this morning on what 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9 says about Jesus. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. I want us to see something this morning about the riches of Jesus, about the poverty of Jesus, and then a question, what does that mean for us? So hear this, hear this word from God. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, he made himself, for your sakes, he made himself poor, so that you through his poverty might be rich. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word and thank you for giving us this sweet privilege to sit here and read it and to meditate on it together. Help us, Lord, open our eyes. Please help us and open our eyes to see wondrous things from your law. Please, Lord, open our eyes to see the glory of Christ in this scripture. We love you, Lord, and we commit this time to you. In Jesus' name. Amen. So I said I want you to see three things here. The riches of Christ, the poverty of Christ, and what this means for us. Let's begin with the riches of Jesus. This is a description of the riches of Jesus in his pre-incarnate state. In the incarnation when the Son of God takes on human flesh, we're talking about the glory of Jesus before that in his pre-incarnate state. We see it in the text. It says, He was rich in 2 Corinthians 8 9 he was rich now there's a there's an article called Christ pre-incarnate glory written by John Flavel in the 1600s I would commend that to you I'm gonna quote from that some today this morning and and also I would commend it to you to go read on your own uh, he I'm, I want to use his framework to describe the pre-incarnate glory of Christ he uses uh, two categories, negative, negatively and positively. And by negatively, he means what did he have in his pre-incarnate glory um, in the sense that he didn't have to deal with that which he had in his humiliation. So, so who was he in his pre-incarnate glory that he didn't have to deal with that he had in the humiliation of taking on human flesh? That's negatively. And then positively, just what does it mean that he was glorious in this pre-incarnate state? And so I want to take it from both of those angles. And uh, my prayer has been, is, it's been that we would see the glory of Christ. Um, these are really hard things for our, our finite brains to, to, 
to pull in and see the glory of the infinite. It's hard for us to do it. So we need help from God. It's the reason why I prayed just a moment ago, God, help us to see the glory of the Son, and specifically here, the glory of the Son in His pre-incarnate state. So negatively, negatively, things Jesus did not have to endure in His pre-incarnate state. First, the pre-incarnate Christ did not have to endure the conditions of the creature. The conditions of the creature. So think about this for just a minute. What does Colossians 1.16 tell us about Jesus? What does it tell us about Jesus? It says this. All things were created through him and for him. All things created through him and for him. What does John chapter 1 verse 3 tell us about Jesus? All things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. This is putting forward Jesus as creator. Creator, the one that through him all things are created. By him, for his glory, everything is created. This is our creator Christ. That's the way he's being presented in, in, in the scriptures. Now, it cannot be overstated the shocking humiliation that the Creator, through whom are all things, by whom are all things, for whom are all things, that He would take on the conditions of creatures, of created things. That, the, 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 how amazing that is. The, the condescension, the humiliation of that cannot be overstated. That's amazing. Now, people have tried to help us understand that by saying something like, it would be like a man uh, taking on the nature of a slug. But that just, that, even that, that um, depth of, con of, of condescension doesn't do it justice that God the Son would take on the conditions of a creature, that he would take on human nature onto his divine nature. So Jesus in his pre-incarnate state, he did not have to endure creaturely conditions. The angels of God worshipped him. They worshipped him, not as the best of creation, but as one who is holy, set apart, in a category all by himself. There's the creator, and then there's everything else created, and they worship him for that in his pre-incarnate state. Second, the pre-incarnate Christ was not under the law. Galatians 4.4 4 says this, When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law. He was, under, he was born under the law, but not Christ in His pre-incarnate state. And let me try to describe why that should mean something to you. Consider for just a minute the independence of God the Son. Now that is an attribute of God that I want you to know something about. That our God is independent God. The, God the Son, was his, his independence is a glorious attribute. It means that he needs absolutely nothing. He is dependent on no one. He's dependent on nothing. He is the independent Son. Now that might be best understood when you compare it to me and you. We are absolutely dependent on food, on water, on oxygen. And if we have all of those things and God removes His Spirit, we return to dust. We are so dependent on God. God the Son is dependent on none of these things. 
He is the independent one. Acts 17 verse 24 says this. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth. That's him as creator. He made the world, everything in it. Does not live in temples made by man. Nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything. Since he gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. He needs nothing. Everyone else, everything else, all of creation is dependent on him to uphold it. And he's dependent on nothing. He's dependent on no one. He's not worshipped or served by human hands as though he needed anything. So the angels worship him in his pre-incarnate state, not just as creator, but as the independent one on whom all of creation is dependent. Now, bring this back to him being under the law. Flavel, John Flavel, again, says this. It was an inconceivable abasement, an inconceivable humiliation, abasement, to the absolute independent being to come under the law. Now think about that for a minute. The independent Son of God is not governed by some outside standard of righteousness. The independent Son of God does not conform to the righteous standard of the law. The independent Son of God is the righteous standard in and of Himself, and the law is an expression of His righteous standard, an expression of who He is. And yet we see this in Galatians 4, that he came under the law. The independent one is born under the law. Third, the pre-incarnate Christ did not suffer under the sorrows that came when he took on human nature. Think about him in his pre-incarnate state. He didn't suffer under the sorrows that came when he took on human nature in his human flesh he felt the sorrow of need Matthew 8 20 says the son of man has nowhere to lay his head but not the pre-incarnate Christ in his flesh he felt the sorrow of temptation Matthew 4 1 then Jesus was led up by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil but not in his pre-incarnate state in his flesh, he tasted the sorrow of death, but not in his pre-incarnate state. He's the source of life. Isaiah 53 verse 3 tells us that Jesus became the man of sorrows. Listen to the verse. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, but not in his pre-incarnate state. He was rich and that he was free from all of these creaturely sorrows. Oh, he was rich. I want you to think about the richness of Jesus as we, as we try to gaze upon him in his pre-incarnate state. He's creator. He's the independent one in need of nothing or no one. He's not the man of sorrows, but he's the one that's unacquainted with worldly guilt or worldly sorrow. Now let's go deeper. So that's negatively. What about positively? What do we see about the, the glories of Jesus in his pre-incarnate state? Positively. Now I want to use 
and a little outline that Charles Spurgeon used. Uh, he described Jesus and his riches in that he was rich in possessions, he was rich in honor, and he was rich in love. And I want to use that same framework. Jesus, in his pre-incarnate state, rich in possessions. Think about seeing him, see Jesus on his throne. Can you see him there? And he's declaring this. Imagine him declaring Psalm 50, verse 10 through 12. Every beast of the forest is mine. The cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the hills and all that moves in the field is mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world in all its fullness are mine. He's rich in possessions. He owns it all. He's also rich in honor. You know this, that a man can have an abundance of possessions, but a dishonorable man is poor indeed. He's poor, but not the pre-incarnate Christ. He was rich in honor. I want you to hear this from Psalm 148. Listen to the richness of Jesus in honor. All of creation. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise Him in the heights. Praise Him all His angels. Praise Him all His hosts. Praise Him, sun and moon. Praise Him, all you shining stars. Praise Him, you highest heavens and waters above the heavens. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for He commanded and they were created. He established them forever and ever. He gave a decree and it shall not pass away. That's all of the heavens, all of the angels. Give honor to the sun. And listen, praise the Lord from the earth, you great sea creatures and all the deeps. Fire and hail, snow and mist, stormy wind fulfilling His word, mountains and all hills, fruit trees and all cedars, beasts and all livestock, creeping things and flying birds, kings of the earth and all peoples, princes and all rulers of the earth, young men, maidens together, old men and children. Let them praise the name of the Lord for His name alone is exalted. His majesty is above earth and heaven. He has raised up a horn for His people. Praise for all His saints, for the people of Israel who are near to Him. Praise the Lord. He's rich in honor all of creation from heaven to earth to mountains to birds to humans to angels. All of it's meant to give glory to His name. He's rich in possessions. In His pre-incarnate state, Jesus is rich in honor in His pre-incarnate state. And, and third... He's rich in love, and this is the most important one to understand. Jesus in his pre-incarnate state was rich in love. This is very important for you to get. I'm not talking about love from men. I'm not talking about love from angels. But God the Son, in his pre-incarnate state, fully satisfied in the love of the Father. He's rich in love, fully satisfied, fully delighted in the love of the Father. Now I want to read something to you on that, uh, as I told you from John Flavel from this article. And I'm going to read a couple of paragraphs here, and that's dangerous because you tend to lose people when you begin to read longer sections of something. So I want to encourage you, lean in. I don't think I can say it better than Flavel here. Lean in and hear about the richness 
of the love of the love that Christ that, that he was rich in love pre-incarnate Christ between the son and the father hear hear this from John Flavel the condition and state of Jesus Christ before his incarnation was a state of the highest and most unspeakable delight and pleasure in the enjoyment of his father John tells us he was in the bosom of the Father. To lie in the bosom is a posture of dearest love. John 13, 23. Now there was leaning on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. But Christ did not lean upon the Father's bosom as that disciple did on his, but he lay in it. Therefore, in Isaiah 42, 1, the Father calls him, the Father calls Jesus Mine elect, in whom my soul delighteth. His father never looked on without smiles and love and delight and joy. Consider the intimacy, dearness, yeah, oneness of those great persons, one with another. The nearer the union, the sweeter the communion. Now, now, Jesus Christ was not only near and dear to God, but one with Him. I and my Father are one, John 10.30. One in nature, one in will, love, and delight. There is indeed a moral union of souls among men by love, but this was a natural oneness. No child is so one with his father. No husband so one with the wife of his bosom. No friend so one with his friend. No soul so one with its body as Jesus Christ and his Father were one. Oh, what matchless delights must necessarily flow from such a blessed union. Consider the constancy, the constancy of this delight. It was from everlasting, from eternity. It never suffered one moment's interruption. The overflowing fountain of God's delight and love never stopped its course, never ebbed. But as he speaks in the text, I was daily his delight, rejoicing always before him. That's rich in love. Jesus, the pre-incarnate Christ, rich in possessions, rich in honor, rich in Love. Let's summarize these things. In that pre-incarnate state, creator, independent one, full of joy and pleasure, not a man of sorrows, rich in possessions, rich in honor, rich in love. Most importantly, one with the Father. One with the Father in perfect joy and delight. Now, if you and I were ever in such a state as this, the one thing we would never want is change. If you and I were ever in such a state as this, the one thing we would, we would push away at all costs is any kind of change. And yet this one voluntarily made himself poor? One so rich voluntarily made himself poor. Let's talk about the poverty of Jesus. It's what it says in our text, 2 Corinthians 8 9. It says, He became poor. It says, His poverty. 
so that by his poverty you might become rich. His poverty. So we're talking about the poverty of Jesus. Now this is certainly a reference to the incarnation of Jesus and the sufferings that would follow. That all that we just described about who God the Son is, who the Son of God is, we're describing him and, and he became incarnate. He took on human flesh and all these sufferings followed. He became poor. He entered into poverty. Let's think for just a minute about this poverty. The creator enters his creation. It's an amazing thing. The creator enters creation. The independent one becomes dependent upon a mother. That's an amazing thing. Listen to Charles Spurgeon. The infinite has become an infant. He upon whose shoulders the universe does hang, hangs at his mother's breast. He who created all things and bears up the pillars of creation has now become so weak that he must be carried by a woman. I was amazed this week by Luke 2.51 where 12-year-old Jesus, it says this phrase, he was submissive to them. 12-year-old Jesus was submissive. It says it in the text, submissive to his parents. You mean the one that is superior above all, the supreme one, creator of all things, independent of all, actually becomes submissive to a father and a mother? This is amazing. He who dwelt in the perfect delight of holiness, Perfect delight of holiness takes on the sorrows of a sin-soaked world. He who owns a cattle in a thousand hills, born in a cattle stall. One of my favorite hymns is, Lamb of God, our souls adore thee. And here's a line from that hymn. Lamb of God, when we behold thee, lowly, in the manger laid, wandering as a homeless stranger in the world thy hands have made. When we see thee in the garden, in the agony of blood, at thy, gra at thy grace we are confounded, holy, spotless Lamb of God. Imagine that. God the Son, He goes from, remember what we read in Psalm 50? All the beasts of the field are mine. All the fields are mine. If I was hungry, I wouldn't come to you because the world and all its fullness are mine. He goes from that to the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Wandering as a homeless stranger in the world his hands have made. He whom the Father honors and all creation adores in his incarnation, in his suffering, he's dishonored by his people. He's dishonored by his family. He's dishonored by his disciples. And he's dishonored, even shamed through crucifixion as he hangs on a cross as a substitutionary sacrifice for sinners. The one rich in honor takes on an abundance of dishonor. And here it is, worst of all, the poverty of Jesus, worst of all. The one who only knew the love of the Father. Think about what we described a minute ago. 
what Flavel described a minute ago. He, he only knew the love of the Father. It was constant. It was intimate. It was perfect. It was delightful. It was glorious and full of joy. Fullness of joy. And the one who only knew the love of the Father, only knew His smile, only knew His favor, He now cries out from the cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Again, Flavel says it like this. His Father never looked upon Him without smiles and love and delight and joy. There were no hidings or withdrawings of His Father from Him. There was not a cloud from eternity upon the face of God until Jesus Christ had left that bosom. It was a new thing to Christ to see frowns upon the face of His Father. A new thing for Him to cry, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And this should just feel appalling to us. Why would one so high stoop so low? Why would one so glorious lay aside his glory and be so humbled and endure such humiliation? Why would he do that? That's appalling to us. Until we consider the reason for his humiliation. Which brings us to that last question. What does this mean for us? And you hear it in our verse. What is it, what's it mean for us? Well, you hear it in 2 Corinthians 8 9. You know the grace of of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's what it means for us. It means grace for us. Listen, for our sakes, that's what it means for us, for our sakes, He became poor. Why? So that you, through His poverty, might become rich. Think about the question. Why would He do such a thing? Why would one so high stoop so low? Why would he do that? And, and listen, for our names, mine and your, for our names to be somewhere in that answer is crazy. He would stoop that low. He would, he would condescend that deeply. Why? And, and for our names to be in that answer? It's like the beggar, the lowly beggar that found himself before the king. The king had left everything. He left his riches. He left glory. He left honor. He left majesty. And he traveled thousands and thousands and thousands of miles. And he suffered deeply in his travels. And this beggar finds himself before the king. And the beggar says, why are you here? Why'd you do this? And he's absolutely shocked to hear the king say, for you. For you I've come. Why would he stoop so low? Why would he lay aside his riches and become poor? The phrase here says in 2 Corinthians 8 9, look at it. It says, for your sake. Think about that. I wish I could put my hands on every one of your shoulders and get you to feel the force of that. For your sake, he became poor. Let it melt your heart. He became poor. Why? This phrase here says, for your sake he did it. Let it melt your heart. This is grace. That's why the verse says, you know the grace 
of our Lord Jesus Christ. Grace, the unmerited favor of God, the undesired goodness of God poured out on us through Jesus Christ. Grace is illustrated here. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's illustrated here as rich Jesus who takes on poverty for the undeserving ones so that the undeserving ones could become spiritually rich. That's grace. Now you might think I'm corny, but I like the acronym GRACE, God's Riches at Christ's Expense. I like that. How do we become spiritually rich? How do we come into possession of God's riches? We don't earn it. It's not at our expense. We don't have what's needed to pay it. It's at Christ's expense. God's riches at Christ's expense, not yours. Our verse says, He became poor so that, so that you, by His poverty, might become rich. Christian, in the room, you are unspeakably rich because of the grace of Jesus Christ. Jesus came for you. He became poor for you. He took on flesh and died and was risen. Why? So that you could have these riches. He did this for your sake. Are you a Christian in the room this morning? Have you repented of your sin and put your hope in Christ, put your faith in Him? And if you have, if you have been converted, you've been born again this morning, that's you, you're a Christian in the room, then you need to lay hold on this reality. You are rich in Christ. Ephesians 1.3 said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Every spiritual blessing. If you're a Christian here today, you are rich in possessions. 1 Corinthians 3.21 says, All things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas, the world or life or death or present or the future, all are yours. And you are Christ and Christ is God. You're so rich in possessions that even the things that you would not typically take on yourself, the negative things, the things that seem hard, the trials, the difficult things, even those things work for your good. That's how rich you are in possessions. Spurgeon said it like this, The great machinery of providence has no will which does not revolve for you. He works all things, the scripture says, for our good. You are rich in true riches that cannot be stolen and that moth and rust cannot come in and destroy. Christian, you're rich in possessions. You're rich in honor. And you're not rich in honor because you earn this place of honor. In fact, what you earn is wrath and judgment and damnation. This is what you earn. But you're rich in honor because God has graciously placed you in Christ Jesus in a place of honor. I want to read a verse that ought to make that a slam shut case. Romans chapter 8, verse 16. You're rich in honor. Listen to this. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. 
heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. Rich, absolutely rich in possessions, rich in honor, co-heirs with Christ. What, what glorious grace has been poured out on us? And last thing I'll mention, you're rich in love. And again, this is most important. You're rich in love. And let me just, in closing, let me bombard you with Bible on being rich in love. 1 John 3.1 says this, See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God? Adopted? Ephesians chapter, chapter 1. Let me read verse 4. Even as He, listen, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him in love. Listen to it. In love. He predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace in which He has blessed us in the Beloved. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace. Listen, the riches of His grace which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. And on it goes. You're rich in love. And this is an everlasting love. It's an unending love. It's an eternal love. Listen to God's word. Isaiah says this. In overflowing anger, for a moment, I hid my face from you. But with everlasting love, I will have compassion on you, says the Lord, your Redeemer. What Jeremiah say? I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I've continued my faithfulness to you. Psalm 103 verse 17 says this, The steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear Him. And all this is yours because He came. Jesus came. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. If He had remained in heaven, you would remain forever in hell. But He came. Christ Jesus came. And all who come to Him, according to 2 Corinthians 8 9, are made rich. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, for your sakes, He became poor, so that you through His poverty might become rich. That's glorious gospel. Father, thank you so much for your word. And thank you, Lord, for letting us meditate on these things together. Lord Jesus, thank you for giving us insight into your glory and majesty, Lord. God, I pray that you would reveal it to us more and more, that you're, you're the one that stoops so low. Lord Jesus, you're the one that stoops so low. You were the exalted one, the, high, the, the most high exalted one. And you condescended, Lord. You entered into humiliation. 
for our salvation, God, and you have poured out such grace and such goodness on us, Lord. I pray that you would cause our hearts to worship as we consider your glory and your goodness. In Jesus' name, amen.